Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. Hello again. Hello, hello. Uh, it's just me if you're on YouTube and if you're listening. Um, just want to go ahead and get that right up out of the way because Megan is not here. Now, if you're on Patreon or if you follow us on Instagram, which is at Whiskey Podcast, at Whiskey Podcast, excuse me, uh, you'll have seen where we posted on this past Sunday that Megan was not feeling well enough to record. Um, she got a hold of me again. We were going to try to do it Monday. She got a hold of me again on Monday and was still not feeling well enough to record. So, with that being said, here this week on Whiskey and Wonder, we're going to try a new uh, type of episode, and we hope that you guys all enjoy. And, you know, if if you don't, shoot us a message. Uh, you can do that through our website, or you can email contact at whiskeyandwonder.com. Um, <clears throat> I'll touch a little bit more on what we're going to do uh, here in just a few minutes. But first, I do want to run through the announcements as usual. Um, I, I guess, firstly, I should start at We're Whiskey and Wonder. Uh, I'm Tyler. My co-host, Megan, obviously, is not here. Um, normally, how this goes is we take turns teaching one another something back and forth while we try a new whiskey, uh, and we rate and review that whiskey while you know we learn something from the other person. Um for the longtime listeners, you'll remember that we are in the middle of Megan presenting uh, a topic on the West Memphis Three, which was a true crime uh, case, I guess. And to be frank with you, I'm I'm very vested in this. I'm I'm interested, and I want to know what happens. I'm kind of bummed that we're not getting it this week. And spoiler alert: she did not send me her notes, uh, so I will not be presenting that. Like I said, new new style. But anyway, that's what we do here at Whiskey and Wonder. Um, our announcements, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Um, check out our Patreon. Go there to vote for what goes in the Infinity Bottles. I went ahead. I took a, a liberty just because we don't get that many rye and scotches. Not nearly as many as we do bourbons. Just being in the South, it's bourbon country. It's easy to get them. Uh, and boy, did I get some the other day. Let me just tell you, I found some rare stuff. So keep your heads up for that. Anyway, I went ahead and took all the rise that I have in the cabinet over there, which you have probably seen on my Instagram or the podcast, which is at whiskey uh, podcast. And mine is uh, at whiskey.tyler. Anyway, I took all the rise that we have in there and I put them, I started a, um, rye infinity bottle and as soon as i have another empty bottle i will wash it out and start the scotch with all the scotches i think i have three in there uh these are all these have all been featured on whiskey and wonder at some point um i think we had both of the high west the rendezvous rye and the double rye i did not put the uh single barrel double rye in there and then we also have the knob creek rye just looking over there I think scotch-wise, we have Monkey Shoulder, Famous Grouse, and Copper Dog. Um, so, yeah, those will those will start off the Ryan Scotch. Infinity Bottle. Um, so, 
about the Infinity Bottles. If you don't know what that is, it's basically a blend, your own personal blend. You put things you like in there and see how they mesh well together. You put things you don't like and torture yourself. I don't know. Um, but anyway, basically what we are doing with that, uh, with the exception of the Rising Scotches, and I'm just putting a base in there to get them started. Um, basically, we post a poll every single week to our Patreon page, and it's a simple question. It says... Should the uh, last week we did, oh Lord, uh, we did um, the Devil Devil's River Rye, but we only had airplane bottles of it, so it didn't qualify. But under normal circumstances, if we had more than just an airplane bottle of it, we would put up a poll that said, should the Devil's River's Rye from episode, uh, I think we were 86, uh, should it go into the Infinity Bottle? Yes or no? And being a Patreon, you get to vote on that. You get to choose whether it's stuff that Megan and I rated highly or whether it's stuff that we rated poorly. Uh, you can kind of, you guys get to make your own blend. That's, that's essentially what it is. And Megan and I will taste it probably on a, uh, special, probably, probably around new year's Christmas time, somewhere, somewhere in there. um, so head over to the Patreon. Uh, there's a couple other benefits you get over at the Patreon uh, page. You can go check it out there. It is patreon.com slash whiskey and wonder. Um, if you don't like this episode format, because we are trying something new, and I'm going to touch on that in a minute, uh, please let us know. Contact at whiskeyandwonder.com, and we'll figure out something to do when Megan and I cannot record. Unfortunately, our system, our setup, does not allow us to record virtually. Uh, not without me having to jump through about a million hoops trying to get it up and running and not crashing everything. Um, I guess the last announcement really is uh, check out the store at whiskeyandwonder.com slash shop, I believe it is. Um, God, I should know that. Nope, whiskeyandwonder.com slash store. Check that out. We've got t-shirts. I'm looking at them right here. We've got uh, men's t-shirts, women's t-shirts. Uh, we have our logo in the shape of a whiskey bottle. We have stickers of those, and we also have our tumblers with our name engraved, our logo engraved in it. Um, we also recently just started a uh, partnership with BarkBox, uh, I'm not going to get too much into that because this is a weird episode, but basically if you go to barkbox.com slash whiskey and wonder, and that's whiskey with an E, you get a free month, uh, when you sign up for BarkBox there and we get a little bit of, uh, you know, we get a little kickback from that. So they, we help them get to you and they pay us a little bit of cash. Keep, help me go out and buy the. Uh, help me and Megan, sorry, uh, go out and buy the expensive whiskeys that we, <laughs> that we get on here because man, I dropped, I dropped some money, uh, at the, at the liquor store this week. But anyway, um, uh, lastly, I just want to say thank you to everybody that does donate, that has donated a whiskey, that donates cash, that, that subscribes to our Patreon, that has, Subscribe through our sponsors and, and partners. You know, you guys make this 
y'all make this. Uh, I'm going to flash the socials up on the screen and the subscribe button because subscribing is another way that you can really help us out. More subscriptions we get, whether that's on YouTube, which search Whiskey and Wonder on YouTube. We don't have a fancy page yet. We don't have enough subscribers. Um, you know, but subscribing helps get us in the algorithm. Hit the bell. You'll get notified whenever we have new videos. I hate when people say that in videos, but it's true. Um, so yeah, do, uh, do all the cool things like that. Now, as far as this episode and, and its format and what we're going to do. So I'm going to try to keep this under 10 minutes, which means I have about a minute and 20 seconds left to go. We are going to do a quote unquote from the vault episode. And so basically what that means is we're going to pull out and we actually posted this on Patreon as well. We let our patrons decide uh, their favorite. They got to pick what episode we, they wanted to hear again, essentially. So we're going to replay you the whiskey and the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, Opening the bottle, the wonder segment, and all the rest from a certain episode. And episode 38, Action Park, was the episode that was selected by the patron, the patrons over at Patreon. So if you want to vote on things like that, go over there, sign up. We have tiers starting as cheap as $2 a month uh, and going up to $10 a month. So it's not like it's breaking the bank. Anyway, so yeah. Um... I guess on that note, guys, we're going to go ahead and throw it into opening the bottle. Opening the bottle. So this week's whiskey, if you're on YouTube, you might see it's not your typical whiskey. No, it's in like a a hand... um, not handmade, but it's in a... It's, in a, in a, it's been hand-poured into yes, a Yes, an unmarked vial. Yes, it's labeled number one, as you can see on YouTube. So what we've got, and I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, uh, friend Shelby's older brother, friend John, lives uh, a couple states away and is part of a group that gets single-barrel whiskeys that are... Not available for public purchase. Yes. You have to be a part of this group to get these whiskeys. Yes. As best I understood it. And he was nice enough to send us four samples of four different whiskeys that are unavailable to the public. So. Yeah. Uh, We're not going to have any notes on any of these. I can almost guarantee. Yeah. There will be none. There will. Yeah. There's Um, nothing we can find on what we're supposed to taste. So you guys are going to just have to go off what Tyler and I and our amateur whiskey connoisseur brains say. Um, but the, fu- the first one we are doing, or the first one we are doing, is from Barton 1792 Distillery. This is a distillery based out of Kentucky. Shocking. It's a bourbon. Uh, The Barton 1792 Distillery was established in 1879 and continues today as the oldest fully operating distillery in Bardstown, Kentucky, situated in the heart of bourbon country on 
and 96 acres. The distillery boasts 29 barrel aging warehouses, 22 other buildings, including an impressive stillhouse, and the legendary Tom Moore Spring. I don't know why it's called 1792 when it was founded in 1879. Um, and no matter- maybe, I'm sorry to cut in, but maybe they just really like the year 1792. Maybe. I could not. I looked it up. I tried to find it, and I could not, for the life of me, find out why the distillery is 1792. But that's what it is. And Tyler has now successfully poured our whiskeys. So this is a very, very dark. Um, it's not very dark. It's a beautiful amber color. It I looks feel like, like it's the dark. amber from Jurassic Park. Uh, okay, I feel like it's dark. I don't know. Maybe It's that's darker just... than what we've had the past couple weeks. Yes. Yes. Um, but just... to, to me, this is like the perfect color. It is beautiful. Just swirling it, not even bringing it close to my nose, I'm getting a smell already. So I'm, I'm yeah. excited. It's very fragrant. Yes. Um, let's kill some airtime here by swishing around and talking. <laughs> and hopefully Tyler's smelling instead of laughing so I don't have to keep talking like an idiot. Um, I've been smelling, but I I smell sweet with a little bit of spice in there, a little bit of... It's not burn your nose hairs by any means. No, it it's, smells smooth as hell. Yes, it does. Um, this smells like... A dessert whiskey, probably. Um, Have we said what this name, what the name of this one is? No, because it's a private barrel thing. Okay. So we have the distillery, but the name, I mean, it, it's a 1792 bourbon, single barrel, foolproof bourbon. Like it's it's it's, a, it's its own thing. Well, so there's actually, yeah, it it is its own thing. It seems like. I don't want to say it's too combined. It, it is, yeah, I guess that's the best way to say it, is it's its own thing. There isn't, it's not, if you go look at this web, or this distillery's website, they have 1792 full proof, and then they also have 1792 single barrel, and this is neither of those. Yes. And it's is, not those two combined either. No. It is a unique It's brand. own unique thing. I... I think this smells like a brandy. If you just handed me a glass of this and you didn't tell me what it was and I smelled it, I would go, oh, that's brandy. I I like brandy, um, but it, it smells so sweet um, and so smooth that I, I'm very curious to know what the taste is going to be. Um, I can't really pinpoint exact smells other than overall it smells like a brandy there yeah you're right it is very sweet there's definitely hints of vanilla and toffee lots of toffee toffee or caramel you know and i'm getting toffee more than caramel but it's it it's definitely toffee i think for yeah, me yeah you're right you're major right. Now toffee that now that yep you're absolutely right more toffee um well tyler yeah go ahead and sip it because we don't have any notes that we're supposed to um so let's see, watching Tyler's face, he looks, oh, I like that face. It was very, like, eyes gotten big, and he did, like, a noise. Not, so, a, not at all what I... Really? Not what you expected? Mm-mm. Oh, now I want to try it. Start talking. Yeah, go ahead. It's very... So the first thing I noticed was immediately on the tongue, mm. it 
tad bit bitter. Um, oh, that's weird. Yep. And then the mid, I, honestly, the mid happened so fast. I was so taken aback by that little shot of bitter. It I does didn't even, not I, smell like it would be this no, at all. I I didn't even notice the mid, and then the end to me, it was it was spicier than I expected. Mm-hmm. It's hanging around. I took the one sip, and it's still burning in the back of my throat, but very lightly. Um, and it was very uh, earthy, very. Um, I don't want to say smoky, but it's like lightly, lightly it's- smoky, a little bit earthy. Leathery kind of. It does not taste like a brandy, even though it smells no. like one. So that just fucked with my brain. Um, definitely the the burn is way more than I was expecting, but it's not unpleasant. Um, initially, it was just like a kind of smack to the face because it doesn't smell like it'll burn as bad as it does. Um, and I, the initial taste is bitter. I I don't know why. Um, and I can't figure out why I'm not tasting any toffee when it smelled so much like toffee uh, that I thought for sure it would be a flavor in there somewhere. Um, but I'm agreeing with Tyler. It's kind of like a leathery, earthy, like, I guess, a, I mean, this is stereotypical and heteronormative, but it, it smells like a man's flavor whiskey. I was about to ask what heteronormative meant, but I understand now. Yeah, bless your um, heart. Yeah, I'm. I tried very hard to focus on the mid notes in that one to see if maybe that's where the toffee was. And there's a little something in there that's sweet, but it's so quick that I'm struggling to put my finger on what exactly it is. This is bizarre. I don't know if I like it yet. Um. Smoky, leather, not sweet, um, a peppermint burn, a really strong peppermint burn, not cinnamon, but mint. Yeah, peppermint. Um, well. Yeah. I guess. That is not what I expected. No. At all. I'm not no. saying it's bad by any stretch. It's definitely not what I expected based off of the smell. Yes. I think that threw both of us off at first because that was... It it tastes like we just threw a different whiskey in the glass when we weren't looking. Like yeah. a ghost fucked with us. Yeah. So I'm 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 gonna reach out. Um, I reach out. I'm gonna ask, uh, friend John, since he donated these. I know uh, Shelby just spoke with you earlier. We were trying we were trying to figure out had a little bit of confusion right before we started recording. I want to make sure we got our facts straight. Um. I'd like to know what you thought of each of these that we do. 100%. Um, yeah, yeah, email us. Let e- us know. Email us and let us know what you thought of these individually so that, you know, we can compare and contrast. Yes. I mean, Megan and I For are sure. sitting here. You've, I- I'm sure you have more of these that you've tried, um, you know, so, excuse me, I'm sure you've, you've got the bottles associated with these at, at home. So. Mm-hmm. Let us know what, what you think. And oh, excuse me, this one's making me burp, guys. <laughs> I hope it doesn't um, make me burp. I'm burp. Burp? I'm, I am presenting, so I can't burp today. <laughs> uh, yeah, Every so, week I just murder the English language. <laughs> she does. 
I can't even deny it. I thought I was bad. Nope. <laughs> All Basically. right. So we're going to hop on into our wonder segment now where Megan's going to teach us something. And here we go. It's time for the wonder segment. I would like to interject and say one one more thing from the whiskey segment. I have found, even though this is something different, it's got a spice and a leathery taste to it, it's not something I needed to chase with anything. Mm, I've been chasing it with a little bit of water. Okay. I, I, I I'm chasing it. it. Okay. Now, on to your topic. All right. Oh, gross. If you burp, it tastes like smoke coming up your throat. <laughs> Sorry. To... I, didn't, I didn't get that at all, but no? interesting. I, I'm going to try to burp now. Like, I did like a silent burp, you know, where it just comes up, and I just, it was fiery smoke. Sorry. Another throw off. All right. Today, I have a fascinating topic. I'm going to learn you today about Action Park. Action Park. Yes. Thank you, friend Melissa, for inspiring this topic. She grew up living at Action Park, and it was a huge part of her childhood and her adolescence, and I hope I do her proud with this segment. I'm going to start off today with a quote from friend Melissa. She says, I guess my story is I lived to tell one. It had that atmosphere of anything goes, no one is in charge. And that is just the beginning of Action Park. When you said Action Park, I was I didn't know if it was going to be a place or a person. Oh, I guess it could have been a person. No, this is a place. I and the reason I say that's because I work at a brewery and there's one guy that comes in that has a name like that and it's like the an actual name. Yeah. Um, okay. So I was like is this a person? Nope. Action Park opened in Vernon Township in New Jersey in 1978. It wasn't the first water park in America being beat out by Wet n' Wild in Orlando, Florida, but it was definitely the craziest and probably the craziest in the entire world, not just the United States. This is the Rube Waddell of amusement parks, and it makes the 1904 Olympic Marathon look like the most organized event in history. Where did you say it was again? Or did Vernon Township, New Jersey. Yeah, I've heard of this place. I knew there was a crazy water park in New Jersey. Yes. Yep. Yes. Uh, throughout its infamous lifespan, infinite. <laughs> infamous. <laughs> That's the word. Throughout its infamous lifespan, Action Park was often fondly referred to as Accident Park or Class Action Park. Check out the HBO documentary of that same name. It was a source for uh, this episode. So Class Action Park on HBO. Another major source that I encourage you to check out is the book Action Park, Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park by Andy Mulvihill, son of Eugene Mulvihill, the man that started the park. Eugene Mulvihill's company was called Great American Recreation, or GAR for short. He went by Gene, so that's how I'll refer to him from now on. 
Gene himself was a character of a man. His son stated that he remembers his dad working on Wall Street. Mary Pylan, a financial journalist, states that Gene Mulvihill was like a combination of, quote, P.T. Barnum and Donald Trump, unquote. But I don't think that gives the insanity of Gene justice. When he made a sale, he'd blast a bugle through the office and pop champagne bottles. Any sale? Yeah, any sale. No matter how small. Yeah, any sale. He made he made it. He'd Yep. Nice. I know. He I'm gonna met, start celebrating small victories like that. I mean, and celebrating small victories is good. I don't know if you should go all the fuck out though. Yeah, I I might just do the bugle. <laughs> just carry a bugle around? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, you know? All right. I mean we'd hear you coming. Annoy you parked successfully. Woohoo. <laughs> Oh, you made the dog excited. Uh, he met his wife, Gail, while on a date with another woman. And he allegedly swindled the U.S. ambassador in France in a real estate scheme. Before Wall Street, Gene went door-to-door selling Kirby vacuums by forcing his way into people's homes to demonstrate the product. He participated in penny stock scams, where the salesman take uh, takes worthless worthless stocks and tricks investors into buying them. If you watch the movie Wolf of Wall Street, you know what I'm talking about. Penny scams could be their own wonder segment, so I'm not going to get any more into it. But suffice it, suffice it to say, from the start, he wasn't exactly a by-the-books respectable type. Andy says, quote, there never seemed to be a barrier between his impulses and his actions. The voice in our heads that says, stop, or wait, or let's think this over, was silent for him. End quote. The SEC, SEC ended up suspending his brokerage firm for its penny stock scam, but Gene had already made a mint. Mayflower Securities, which is, was his brokerage farm, and he had earned his family the fortune to quit big city life and move to New Jersey in a lot beside the Great Swamp National Wildlife Refuge in Harding Township when Andy was five. You said he earned the fortune to stop living big city life, and then you said move to New Jersey. I was thinking, move to a small city life. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I mean, this, it, this park was in a fairly small city, so... But Gene's insane. So with his Wall Street career over, Gene did what any normal person would do and bought two ski resorts in Vernon, in Vermont and New Jersey. They were called the Great Gorge and Vernon Valley. The valley happily catered to all classes, embracing the common folk that wanted to ski. Vernon Valley became his first ski resort as it became only owned by him because the company hit foreclosure and Gene leapt at the chance to buy the entire thing flat out. With Gene behind the wheel, it boasted the country's largest snowmaking machine, so large that it ran on a jet engine. He kept the slopes running 24 hours a day, illuminated with floodlights so that people could party all night long. He partnered with petrol stations to keep a stockpile of gas for his customers, 
and hired Olympic athletes to come ride the trails. Vernon Valley did well enough that he was able to buy Great Gorge from Curlander, its original owner. But he wanted to make money effectively in the summer as well as winter. Ideas for Action Park planted in his head. Time ran an article that inspired Gene. Quote, Americans will spend $960 million going to theme parks this year, more than they spend to attend all the major sporting events combined. Unquote. This was from a 1976 article. Theme parks weren't the spectacle back then that they've become today, Disney parks being the, the exception. But if Walt could do it, so could Gene. Here's a quote from Andy's book revealing what he said to his family when he told them he would be opening an amusement park. Quote, He cited time again. People are tired of passive experience. They want to be active participants in rides. How many times have I said that? Unquote. Oh, just kidding. How many times have I said that? He said it many times. My father was a participant in life, a reveler who hosted family gatherings and employee bashes. He assumed everyone felt the same. Now, end quote. Both Disney locations had location going for them. They were on large, flat pieces of land in already popular tourist destinations. But Gene decided his park would be built on the side of a mountain in New Jersey. And once Gene decided something, that's the way it was to be. He heard rumors of a daring contraption out of Germany, and he decided to make the trip across the Atlantic to see it for himself. A fiberglass slide was built at an incline with twisting, snake-like curves. Riders sat on a small, sled-like cart on wheels that they'd ride down the slide. A joystick brake was attached between the riders' legs. They'd skyrocket down the slide like a dry bobsled run. It was called the Alpine Slide, and Gene would install one at his park. Andy and his brothers were ecstatic at the pro prospect of owning a theme park, but his sister was a skeptic. Smart girl, that's all I'm saying. Andy asked if they'd get to work at the park. Of course, you all will, said Gene, as if the thought that his young children wouldn't work there was strange. Andy at the time was 13, and his younger brother was 12. The idea of child labor laws and working papers was shrugged away. Rules were not obstacles to Gene. They were nuisances to be cast away and ignored. And as soon as summer break hit, the Mulva Hills began to dig a trench in the side of the mountain for the Alpine Slide. Hundreds of people showed up when the slide opened in 1976. They waited in line for two hours and paid $2.50 to ride once. $2.50 in 1976 is equivalent to eleven eighty-three today in 2021. Kids rode for a dollar cheaper at one fifty per slide or $7.04 in 2021. How that math works out? Don't know, but that's what the internet said, so that's what we're going with. Inflation. <laughs> yes.
but I meant like from 150 is 704, 250 is 1183. Is that the right? It, I, I don't know. Math is hard. I count on my fingers. It, it's got to do with the percentage. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So two lanes ran down the mountain. There was a beginner or a slow lane, and then there was the lane made for adrenaline junkies. There was not any type of safety equipment, and riders often injured themselves accidentally by ignoring the advice that attendants gave them. Throwing themselves off balance caused them to scrape their skin at high velocity like a sander, leaving painful, oozing wounds. The park would spray the injury with iodine and shrug, and that was the extent of their medical training. Photos of the injuries eventually hung up at the top of the slide to remind people to listen to the fucking attendants. And skin flesh was the least of the injuries. The carts weighed 20 pounds, and collisions occurred frequently. They spaced riders 50 yards apart, but if you slowed down for whatever reason, you'd get rammed into like a freight train. This actually happened to my dad, Papa Cross, friend Bill, dad, friend dad. (laughs) Just throw all All the names names out there. (laughs) Uh, This happened to my dad at an alpine slide in Winter Park, Colorado when I was a kid. Two girls stopped in the middle of the track to fucking gossip or some shit. They were literally stopped. And my dad creamed the fuck out of one. Papa Cross, gonna need your version of this story. I'm sure he will send it to you. Uh, This is why I called you dad to talk to you about this, by the way. Um, My dad was in the fast lane. He wanted to break the sound barrier. He was trying to go as fast as he possibly could. That's amazing. So he he hit this chick like a freight train. It caused him to have a sprained ankle, and he still has a giant scar on his arm today. The girl he hit injured her back severely and left on a stretcher and probably still has issues to this day. He was beyond furious with the chick, but she was hurt pretty bad. So, I mean, kind of, kind of, not to be a dick, but it sounds like it's kind of her fault. It is 100% her fault. I can't blame your dad at all for trying to break the sound barrier. I can't either. What else are you supposed to do on this thing? I can't either. And in fact, um, my dad told me when I was talking to him, uh, the attendant like told him to go. And my dad said, no, 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 wait, I'm going to go super fucking fast. I'm waiting longer. And so they stood there for a little bit, and the attendant said, you need to go. And my dad again said no. And so they waited. And the attendant finally said, if you don't go right now, you need to get out of line, and someone else is going to come up here. And so my dad said, all right. And even though he waited at least twice as long as was required, that bitch still stopped in the middle of the fucking track and hurt my dad and her. And her. Her bad. Her super bad. Ah, she got what was coming. Yeah. I mean, she did. I don't want to finish that because that was such an asshole thing, but. I mean, I'm she didn't get what did. was coming. Like, fuck. Sorry. Uh, so no one fucks with my dad. How old was Papa Cross when this happened? Um, I was there with him. Um, I. I so this had to have been at least the 90s. Yeah. Maybe early 2000s. 
maybe I was old enough. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say probably, probably before 9-11. Okay. Um, you said this thing's called an alpine slide? Yes. I don't know that I've ever seen one. They are really cool. Um, and the one in Winter Park still exists. Uh, but last time my dad, like, drove by, he said it's actually now on, like, the carts are now on a track. So you can't do the fucked up shit anymore. Which... So it is literally like a bobsled. Yes, it is a dry bobsled. Oh my god, that looks like so much fun. It is so much fun. So much fun. It is a freaking blast. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I need to find one near me. I'm sure there is somewhere around here. I don't do um, roller coasters. I don't do heights, but this looks. Oh, amazing. if you don't do heights, I don't know if you want to do this. Why? Because it's high. You're going down to the side of a mountain. Yeah, no, I get that, but I'm near the ground. I'm talking like I don't like. Oh, being, you don't want the. I, I don't even like climbing two steps up a ladder. Okay. I well, mean, I, I'm six foot. My head's at the top of that six foot. <laughs> so if I fall, <laughs> it's going at least six foot down. <laughs> I don't. I don't like adding anything to that. I mean, I get that. Um, it looks like the nearest ones are uh, nearest ones in Banner Elk. I don't even know where that is. That's up near Boone. Oh, so hey, it's even in North Carolina. Yeah, I used to date a girl that was going to college in Banner. Oh well, shit. We could college. we could go there, make it a weekend trip, go do the Alpine side, then go home. Yeah. Um, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. Friend Shelby, friend Houston, do you want to do that sometime? I think we should. Anyway, uh, oh, this one's not. Oh, it's one on a track, it's like on the a one track. my dad said Winter Park turned into. I wonder if they're all on tracks now. Oh, if so, that's sad. I'm going to keep looking. Okay. I'm I'm going to keep teaching. Yeah, teach. I'm listening. So riders could also get catapulted off the track and eat rocks. To combat this, they put hay uh, hay bales up to cushion any falls. But people would flick their cigarettes and ignite fires. It took... Two fires before they realized that maybe the hay bales were more of a hazard than just letting people hit the bare ground. The Alpine Slide was a roaring success. Jean kept it open until November, and when the season ended, it ended with stars in Jean's eyes. In 1977, the Alpine continued to draw crowds, and so he decided it was time to move forward. One ride was not enough. Expansion and growth were necessary. He believed the best way of going about this was to basically legalize drunk driving. <laughs> and so, I'm sorry. Hold on. For anybody <laughs> not watching YouTube, I am engrossed in photos of the local, and by local, I mean a couple hundred miles away, Alpine slide that's not on a track. But my head just immediately turned at, Legalized drinking and driving. Do what? Yep. Motor World was born. This was a go-kart track unlike any seen on the East Coast. He bought a small fleet of Lola cars, three-quarter scale Formula One racers that cost eight grand a piece. These weren't toys and they were not regular go-karts. They were dangerous vehicles that could achieve 90 
miles per hour. Action Park, knowing that 90 was just too much, put governors on the gas pedals so that they couldn't get higher than 50 miles per hour. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Andy said, quote, The engine of the Lola T506 vibrated through your stomach and made your testicles rattle. The lap times were recorded accurate to the one hundredth of a second. You had to be 17 with a valid driver's license to ride Motor World, but back in the 70s, IDs were incredibly easy to forge. Think back to Frank Abagnale Jr. IDs at the time were printed on paper and had no photographs, so kids forged licenses by punching out numbers with a hole punch. Quote, and I'm going to quote a lot because this, this entire book was amazing, so I, I stole a lot of quotes from it. Quote, Attendants would eye one of these dubious licenses, then look at the prospective driver who would often tug their hat brim down to cover acne or braces. They encountered little resistance. Taking a cue from the obedient employees at the Disney parks, my father told us that we should never utter the word no to guess. Snow White, he said, would never reject anyone. He seemed oblivious to the fact that Snow White wasn't charged with making sure people didn't run each other over with gas-powered racing vehicles. That mandate made attendance in Motor World largely powerless to stop both juvenile drivers and people who had been drinking. Drunk guests would push past attendance and go swerving around the track. So the park made a mock sobriety test. If two wheels came off the track, you got a warning. If four wheels came off the track, you'd be banned from the Lolas for the rest of the day. Only for the day. Only for the day. You can come back tomorrow. Do it again. People... I could have some fun here. Oh, my God. You have no idea. We haven't even gotten started yet. Uh, people underestimated their power and how fast they'd accelerate, thinking they were just regular go-karts. And because of that, it earned quite a few hurt necks because people would hit the gas and they'd go, what? And their neck would fucking spring back. Exactly why, uh, well, not exactly why, but that's why NASCAR drivers wear the Hans device, the head and neck. Protector uh, thingy? Yeah. Yeah. Stops your neck from smacking, smacking back. Yep. Um, some of the Lolas had gas caps that would just pop off and then fuel would spill out as they drove often hitting drivers behind them. Now, Gene also decided to get dune buggies. And dune buggies weren't nearly as monitored. They were 4 by 4 vehicles that riders would take into the woods. They had a roll bar, and that encouraged riders to think that they were invincible and whip around like lunatics. They'd go so fast that the buggies would fly over hills all four wheels off the ground. In the first weekend, the dune buggies were open. All ten dune buggies were destroyed. Riders pulled themselves from the wreckage, and luckily, Gene had required helmets for this attraction. This one attraction. Not the 90-mile-per-hour go-karts. Or, I'm sorry, 50-mile-per-hour go-karts. But the dune buggies, he said, you put on a helmet. This probably saved at least one person 
at least one person from becoming a vegetable that weekend. The Motor World section continued to grow as they added speedboats to the mix, scaled down to roughly two-thirds the size of a normal boat. Venomous snakes and snapping turtles lived in that water, but were, quote, usually scared off by doing laps in the morning in the boats before guests entered. But people would also, like, fall into the water and their leg would brush a snake. That would be the coolest freaking job, though. The guy that takes the speedboats out to clear the snakes and turtles. That'd be cool. Working at this park, it sounds like it was like a Lord of the Flies situation. Like, they were, this was chaos. Utter chaos. I'll get into it. It's insane. Ah, uh, la, 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 la. People often fell into the gas-polluted water of the small lake inside Motor World. So, yes, there also had a nice film of gas on top of the lake. So, that was fun. Outside of Motor World, they opened a human maze. A giant labyrinth that stretched 10 feet in the air and was legitimately difficult to navigate. You'd often hear muffled pleas and cries from guests desperate for help escaping the maze. A week into the maze being open, a sign went up at the entrance that said, quote, danger. People have been lost in this maze for up to nine hours. End quote. The park grew exponentially. Jean turned the ski lift into a 40-minute scenery ride that pot smoke would waft from. Batting cages and basketball courts opened in the park. And then... There was a water slide. Their first slide was called the green water slide and was a simple fiberglass slide with two lanes that led into a pool at the bottom. The water was siphoned from a lake using an old fire truck and hauled to Action Park. Because, you know, chlorine and healthy water is for sissies. The slides weren't put together very well, and even though injuries were minimal, they weren't absent. Joints connecting the slide jutted out, and if you went down without a foam mat, you'd scrape or bruise yourself on all of these divots. Mm. Ah, I have another quote from the book. A long quote, because I couldn't rephrase this because it was just perfect the way it was written. Quote, Encouraged by Jane to come up with an idea unique to the park, Kramer the park mechanic, devised what he called battle action tanks. These were small, engine-powered four-wheelers with a protective chassis built over the driver's seat. A cage crafted from chicken wire allowed people to see out of the camouflage-colored body. Inside, a joystick triggered a series of tennis balls, which shot out of a custom-made cannon at an absolutely ridiculous 100 miles per hour, allowing the drivers to fire upon one another. Along the perimeter of the area, mounted tennis ball guns allowed spectators and people waiting in line to attack the tanks. Kramer rigged them to go into a tailspin when someone scored a direct hit, the balls making a satisfying and foreboding donk against their armored panels. It was Wimbledon meets Vietnam. The problem was, 
that we had no efficient system for retrieving the ejected tennis balls. A Roomba-like machine that was supposed to canvas the area and vacuum them up was often broken. Employees would wait for lulls in combat and then sprint into the battlefield to retrieve them. The drivers would immediately turn and fire. <laughs> the driver, I can't. I was just thinking. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be hit the golf cart. At the, at the driving the range, range. The moment the golf cart comes out, that's the one Everybody goal everyone turns. has. You, oh my. We're hitting that, <laughs> that cart. I uh, caught one in the door one time. Just oh, I remember the attendants getting so pissed. Uh Reasons why going to a golf driving range is fun. Hit the poor <laughs> minimum oh, wage yes. employees. <laughs> um, so, so the drivers would immediately turn and fire at the unprotective victims. <laughs> the balls drilling their heads and torsos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing this in slow motion. Like, oh, I'm hit. <laughs> uh, Stop, stop, the attendant would plead. You could hear muffled laughter from inside the units as they <laughs> emptied their clips. <laughs> thwack, thwack, thwack. Oh, God. <laughs> I would be one of those assholes. Unquote. I would be one of the people in line shooting at them. Oh, my God. Yes, I... I um that is amazing. that is amazing. That I want to play I want game. to play the battle battle action tanks. Why didn't oh they God. do what the freaking driving range does and put it like a little battle tank that scoops up the balls? They had like a Roomba like machine that scooped them up, but it broke constantly. Oh, man. And so they just were like, hey, oh. Joe, <laughs> go get the ball. Hey, hey, new guy. <laughs> ball retrieval time. <laughs> chop chop. Earn your stripes. Oh, Jesus. That sounds... Oh. Amazing. Okay. I want to go. I do, too. Like, I, it, I do, too. All right. So, then there was the Bailey Ball. This abomination was a human hamster ball designed to run on a track down the mountain. Now, thankfully, because I now have this awesome uh, two-in-one laptop, I can embed pictures. So this is a concept of what the Bailey ball looked like. And I'm going to post this on our Instagram so you guys can see it without me having to try to show you on the webcam. So Whiskey Podcast is our Instagram. Check that out if you want to see what the Bailey ball prototype looked like. That, it literally looks like a giant hamster ball. Have you ever seen the... um... The soccer thing? Yes. Yeah, yes. it looks like that, except your whole body would go into it. Yes. <laughs> I wish I could just read the entirety of Andy's book for this wonder segment, because it is fucking brilliant. Please, please go buy this book. It is worth it. Because I didn't want to take everything away from Andy's book, I didn't write down all the details of the Bailey Ball, but suffice it to say... That when it was first tested, no one wanted to go in it. So Gene bribed someone $100 to get inside. And it was, it was chaos. You have no just, control. You just, you're just yeah, in this ball. No control. You're in a ball, and it's supposed to stay on a track. It's supposed to stay on a track. I mean, but <laughs> you even think about like a hamster ball, and the hamster's in control of it. Yep, you can nope. stop it. 
Nope, it was. Up. It's on a mountain. You yep. put a hamster on a mountain. I'm not a good. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. So there was inside the ball. There was another ball that strapped you in, and you had no control. You were just adios, <laughs> goodbye. Would you flip upside down in it? Oh yeah, you'd flip upside down, go side to side. It was. Oh my god, puke, and then you'd be flying around with your puke, and then you'd <laughs> puke again, and it would just be a never-ending cycle of vomit. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yep, that, that is so miserable. The Bailey Ball. So. Megan's taking a drink. Mm-hmm. I've stopped drinking because I've almost finished, and I have to save some for the end. Sorry, sorry. New Jersey's Department of Labor was supposed to grant permits for amusement rides. But Gene found a loophole. He called them sporting attractions. And thus, New Jersey had no jurisdiction at Action Park. None of his rides had to be earned with permits or anything. That's like with WWE entertainment. Mm -hmm. Not... It's not a sport. Yep. It's entertainment. Yep. The Cannonball Loop became a signature of the park. It was designed on a napkin. And this was a massive enclosed water slide that finished in a loop-de-loop. It was as dangerous as it sounds and looks. So here is a picture of the Cannonball Loop. Yeah, that's an actual picture of it. It was a huge, giant slide with a flip at the end. So again, it, this will be on looks, the. I mean, this, Instagram. Yeah, it's a very tight, a very <laughs> tight loop de loop. It looks like it tight. might be ten feet tall. Like, whoop. Yep. Perfect circle loop de loop. Yep. Oh, I can. Oh, there's so much going wrong with that. Oh, you have no idea. Um, it was only opened intermittently. Because it caused so many injuries. Uh, I wonder, I think I do go into more. um, Maybe I don't. I might not go into more on the loop-de-loop. So if I do, oh no, I just closed the entire thing. Um. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Sorry, I go back to it. I go back. It's quick. It's quick. Okay, um, so if, I don't know if I did go over the injuries and stuff. So in order to successfully complete the loop, there was a very, very fine line of a weight you had to be versus what was too much. So if you weighed too little, you would get stuck inside and they would have to come take apart the slide to get you out. I was thinking that. I was like, this thing's sealed off. If somebody got hurt, how would they get to them? They had to go in and take the slightest part. If someone was too big, they would go down so fast that they would overshoot the pool (laughs) at the end. (laughs) Yep. Uh, On top of... Whoa, 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 hold on. Yep. Let me see that picture again. Yep. All right. I'll show you the picture again. So on top of that... um, This obviously was not designed by any type of engineer. And so the inside had like bolts and shit just sticking out. So people would get cut to hell inside. Like this was a bad, bad idea. How how would they overshoot the pool? 
I that is what Andy's book said. And Andy was the son of the oh, owner. Yeah. And he worked this park for basically his entire life. Wow. I'm just trying to think. I guess you would just stay around the outside. You'd build up so much momentum. You'd come you just shoot flying off. out, yeah. Yeah, like if a roller coaster train, like, <laughs> unlocked. <laughs> I, yeah, you would just end up, if there was any angle it up at all, you'd be. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Um, there was a problem with the park growing so much. Motor World was on one side of the road, Route 94, and Water World was on the other side. So people were having to mad dash like Frogger to avoid getting pancaked by traffic. So Gene designed the Transmobile, a 3,000-foot-long tram that carried guests 20 feet in the air over the road. It featured open-air carts and traveled between 4 and 7 miles per hour. It was one of the few attractions at the park that actually had safety belts because it was so high in the air. But... Gene didn't ask anyone if he could build a bridge over the highway. New Jersey Department of Transportation should have been contacted, but getting through all the red tape would have taken years. So Gene constructed it without asking for permission, figuring he'd deal with the consequences after they came. The Transmobile went up overnight, and the next morning a town official drove under it, and he stopped and stormed into the park and demanded to know who from the state was responsible for approving it. And it just so happened a employee for the Department of Transportation was at the park. And he emerged and explained that all the permits were in place and sent the official on his way. And really it was just Ricky from sales. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... No, I shouldn't even say Ricky from sales. It's Ricky from the tennis ball cart game. <laughs> yeah, he had a big bruise on his face. If I fall, new guys still out there trying to track down tennis balls. Yep. All right. The park's first death happened in 1980. Nineteen-year-old George Larson Jr. was employed as a ski lift operator the prior season, but to avoid having to report the death of a customer to the state, Mulvihill labeled him as an employee, despite him never working at Action Park. He spent the entire day mastering the fast lane of the Alpine slide, training himself to go faster and faster. Then it started to rain. The ride always closed during bad weather because the brakes wouldn't work, but Larson decided to ride anyway. His car jumped the track when he lost control at a turn. He was thrown from the cart and tumbled down the mountain, stopping only when his head hit a rock. Mm. He spent a week in the hospital in a coma before he died. Gene had designed Action Park with the mindset of the guest being in control of the action, and so the mantra of the park became, quote, The ride is in the control of the individual. This is an action park where people are doing physical things to themselves. Their situation is not totally in our control. End quote. 
Two more rides became popular in the summer of 1980, the Tarzan Swing and the Kamikaze Waterslide. The Tarzan Swing was a stereotypical rope swing, except it was much higher than a rope tied to a tree branch at the lake. And a lot of people don't realize the upper body strength you need to hold your entire body weight off the ground on a rope. And constantly people would not, they would overestimate their strength and would lose their grip prematurely and just belly flop straight into the water. I thought you were going to say into the ground, like they didn't (laughs) make it to the water. No. Uh, Luckily, from what I read, most of them did make it into the water. No one died hitting the ground from the Tarzan swing. Um, Now, when anyone belly flopped into the water, the entire crowd, the entire line, everyone would start heckling them and like laughing at them, and it it was crazy. This happened to friend Melissa, who told me about her belly flop and the entire park laughing at her. She laughed, though, when she told me, so I'm guessing it didn't scar her for life, but I think if I had... 100 people laugh at me when I belly flopped. It would have scarred me for life. So good on you, Melissa. The kamikaze was a massive water slide at a 45-degree angle. It launched riders at insane speeds into a shallow pool where they would skip like a stone, kicking up water around their bodies like their bodies were parting the Red Sea. At the pool, crowds would gather. Huge crowds. And people would be exchanging money because watching the kamikaze became almost as fun as riding it. Because the angle, the water, the speed, the height, a perfect storm, really. Riders would often be completely disrobed in the descent. One worker said, quote, you see more tits here than a strip club, unquote. What? Describe the ride again. I'm. I'm... It is a huge water slide that you go down at such a steep angle and it goes so fast and when you hit the water like your shit just comes off okay yep um women's tops would fly off and men lost loose fitting trunks their frankenbeans swinging around for the entire world to see now Frank was flabbergasted that people still continued to go to Jersey Jersey Shore on their days off and demanded to know why from his children. He couldn't comprehend how a beach would be more exciting than Action Park. So he decided to make a wave pool to rival the ocean and compete with the beach for tourists. Quote, For ten minutes each half hour, the pool seems innocent enough. Then, the eight 75-horsepower engines surge into action, producing rolling whitecaps three to four feet high, swimming amid the debris of rented and brought rafts in the eight-and-a-half-foot deep end of the pool was like experiencing the aftermath, aftermath of a shipwreck. End quote. This was by the Sunday News in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on August 9th, 1981. The pool was filled with 700,000 gallons of water, and the waves would rise to 40-inch heights. Lifeguards working the wave pool, which included Andy for a while as the head lifeguard, 
pulled out 100 people from the water in just one weekend. Damn. Yep. Surf Hill was a giant slip and slide. It was 30 yards wide and 150 yards long. The 10 lanes all had decline that leveled out until your momentum slowed at the bottom and landed you in a shallow pool. It was possible, however, to achieve uncontrolled speed, shooting down so fast you skipped like a stone over the water and crashed right into a padded wall, like the kind found in insane asylums at the opposite end. There were eight standard lanes and two expert lanes, which provided a precipitous jump with an impressive hang time. Like many of my father's rides, it encouraged racing and competition and discouraged a lack of self-preservation. Now, let me briefly graze over the fact that once the park served spoiled chicken, straight up roasted rotten meat chickens, and fed them to guess. It was a shitstorm. Literally. And that's all I have to say about that. The second death occurred in 1982. A 15-year-old boy named George Lopez drowned in the wave pool. By this point, Andy was no longer a lifeguard, so he did not witness what happened. But no one noticed the kid failed to resurface until it was too late. The third death happened just one week later at the kayak experience ride. A 27-year-old Jeff Nathan flipped his kayak, and when he got out to ride it, he stepped on a grate that was connected to live wiring for the underwater fans that made the rapids. He was electrocuted and suffered cardiac arrest and did not survive the strain. His cousin Steve and Steve's wife Janet were with Jeff on the ride and also got electrocuted but survived, both of them successfully waking up at the hospital. Though Gene claimed that the ride was safe and the Department of Labor agreed that the fans were properly maintained and installed, they never reopened the kayak experience. Action Park became the place to work when you were a teenager, particularly because it was the only place of employment, of employment for minors within 29 miles. It was chaos working there. Management had a hard time corralling the hormonal kids who formed cliques and played favorites and broke rules. Just imagine this insanely dangerous jackass-level chaos theme park, and now employ your high school to run it. Fucking yikes. It was the hangout place for teenagers as well as their place of employment. With their forged IDs, they could easily get beard when carded, if carded, at the park. And both guests and employees would basically drink all day. Now, imagine that previous scenario. Now everyone is drunk. Fucking more yikes. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there were some pregnancies that happened here. Oh, I am so sure. There, there's... there's some, oh, my God. There are some babies conceived at this park. Mm-hmm. You might be out there listening. You'd yeah, you're you'd be around our age. You'd be a Yeah. Be a millennial. So Yep. <laughs> and then insurance fraud. 
Dun, dun, dun. Action Park was insured through a company out of London that the New Jersey Commission of Investigation, the SCI, could not find. There was only a post office box in the Cayman Islands. To make a long story short, Gene was in a buttload of trouble. He ended up having to get real insurance and pay back the state for what he owed, which he did through apparently earning from the ski resort business in the winter. Now, a normal, logical person would have spent the rest of the year lying low and trying to stay out of the public eye after the insurance scandal. Not Gene Mulvihill. He decided that 1983 was the year to reintroduce and open the cannonball loop to the public. It had yet to be made open to the public as its trials had proved rather concerning. But Gene refused to tear it down and continued to fiddle with the ride, determined to open it one day. And it did, despite everyone telling Gene it was a bad idea. There was a very specific size and weight range to successfully and somewhat safely ride. So they measured and weighed weighed people at the start of the line. And the Cannonball Loop opened to the public for a very, very short time. It closed down again before the summer was even over with just too many injuries. In 1984, Roaring Springs opened. One of its rides was Cliff Dive, a waterfall which you could jump off of. Jump off of. That, that was it. That was a ride. And you just waterfall jump off it into the pool where there's 50 other people. So, hope you don't hit anyone. These were wild times. <laughs> that That's ingenious, though. Uh, it's so simple. Make money off of that. Yep. Um, then there was River Ride, which is an inner tube ride. The Colorado River Ride was the regular river ride with the action dialed to 10 as the rapids were much more violent. Friend Melissa said riding the Colorado River Ride was terrifying. How old was friend Melissa when she went there? Like, was she, she go there all through her teenage years? She, uh, I actually have a little bit at the end where I okay. uh, talked to her verbatim, but she was around 13, 14, I believe. Okay. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. There were two calm, family-friendly water slides and one traditional water slide that ran through the entire Roaring Springs and even submerged underground. It was the most expensive and elaborate addition in the park's history. And then, the fourth death. During one of the inner tube rides at Roaring Springs, you would be dumped out of the slide and fall 10 feet into the water. They called it the toilet bowl. Officials believed that 20-year-old DePass inhaled water. I didn't include his first name. I'm so sorry. Uh, Mr. DePass. Mr. DePass, yep. Officials believed 20-year-old Mr. DePass inhaled water when he hit the pool and ended up drowning from the shock of the impact. Shortly after this, they decided to completely drain all the water in the entire park and repaint the bottoms to white. Originally, they were black. 
So lifeguards and anyone could not see if anyone was at the bottom. When they repainted them to white, lifeguards were able to at least look and spot I expected Drowning you were going to say lifeguards still couldn't see anybody at the bottom. I mean, it, it wasn't a great situation. Now, Jean had an entire brewery imported from Germany. Everything, including the brewmaster, Otto Binding, 68 years old and with 50 years experience. Otto agreed to move as long as he could bring his dachshund, Daisy, with him. So Jean shipped everything to New Jersey. Otto and his daughter and son-in-law and their bakery, the brewery, the dog, everything. And Action Park had a brewery. And a bakery, it sounds like. And a bakery. I don't know if it was on the park premises, but it was close. The fifth death also occurred in 1984 when a person suffered a fatal heart attack from the shock of the cold water beneath the Tarzan swing. I don't think, oh, hold on. I don't think we can pin that on this, like, shock from cold. That could happen in your bathtub. It could, but still, it. Take it from me, of all people. (laughs) God damn it, Tyler. (laughs) It's not funny. If, If you know, you know. It's not funny. Um, the sixth death was in 1987 when 18-year-old Gregory Grandchamps drowned in the tidal wave pool. Action Park evolved in its lifespan to become a major destination with 75 rides. Now, this is already getting really long, and there are lots of stories you can find online. If you go to Google and just Google Reddit, Action Park stories, there's like huge conversations of people oh, who I'm, went I'm to, sure. yeah, who went to Action Park. Um, and I encourage you to especially read Andy Mulvihill's book, which covers a lot more than I could. The law ended up catching up with Jean Mulvihill, and a 110 count grand jury indictment. <sighs> Indictment was filed against the nine companies with stake in the park. Many took pre-trial intervention to avoid trial. Gene himself pled guilty to five insurance fraud charges. And in the 90s, attendance began to fall. By 1996, Gar was completely bankrupt, owing over $14 million dollars. Gar closed all of its operations in 1997, unable to regain their financing. IntraWest, a Canadian resort developer, bought the park and revamped it in 1998, renaming it Mountain Creek Water Park. And in 2014, Eugene Mulvihill was able to buy the whole Mountain Creek Resort back. But Gene died two years later. The mantle of CEO went to his son, Andy, and Andy renamed the park back to Action Park for his dad. However, no one liked the rebranding, and the name was changed back in 2016 to Mountain Creek. And it still continues to operate 
today. And that's just some of the story of America's most dangerous amusement park. So, let me get this straight. Mm-hmm. There's a park in New Jersey where I can go shoot 100-mile-an-hour tennis am, balls at people. <laughs> I am positive all that shit's gone. I think it's now just a regular water park. Oh. Like, I, there is no way in 2021 shit like that exists. If there we does... We took all the fun out of society, people. Let's bring some <laughs> fun back. I have survival of the fittest. You either you win or you don't. Um, Natural selection. How are we looking at time-wise, Tyler? We're at about one hour 15. Okay. Not as horrible as I yeah, thought. No, you're on a good pace. Yeah. Um, I do have a transcript of a conversation that Melissa and I had this morning, June 27th, um, that I'll, I'll say a little bit of it to you guys. Um, so Melissa says, the first two times I was there was before they started closing any rides. I asked, how old were you when you first went? And Mel says, seventh grade, so probably like 12. I ask, did you have a fake ID so you could ride the go-karts and such? And she says, no, we always went for the water park. In fact, before the documentary, I didn't even realize there was more parts to the park. And I asked, did you continue to go through your teenage years? And she says, by the time I hit high school, I was into other things. I spent my summers trying to find a dead show to go to. Grateful Dead. It was definitely something we all told our stories about at that time, though. I asked, did any of your friends have any seriously crazy stories? She says, very similar to mine, taking a face plant off the Tarzan swing, injuries from the Colorado River ride, experiences with the kamikaze slides. I never knew anyone personally who had to go to the ER. I asked her if anyone she knew attempted the cannonball loop, and she says no. <laughs> and when I watched the documentary and I saw that, I was like, oh my God. But I definitely knew pe people that were crazy enough to have tried it. I asked, so your dad was a mechanical engineer. How did he feel about the rides? And she says, the only one he scrutinized was the kamikaze one, which they didn't end up trying, and the one where you skip. He noted that everyone was piling into the pool. It was a free-for-all. There was no organization. It had the atmosphere of anything goes, no one is in charge. So thank you, friend Melissa, for inspiring this topic and for all your help talking about it. That, that was phenomenal. That was awesome. I was going to ask if she had any injuries. The thing, honestly, this is the one thing that I, my mind kept coming back to the whole time. It's like, this sounds like this was built pretty rickety. Yes, they didn't have any actual legitimate engineers employed. So the thing that I keep coming back to is that, like the water slides. I just picture these things have like, like they've used a nut and bolt to put this thing together and like the, the bolt is sticking out like You inch. are literally right. Yeah. Like how do you not You are gash, literally correct. Gash your side going down some of these water slides. And you did. Most people get huge bruises or cuts or all sorts of crazy mm. shit. That's what I, that and shooting 100 mile an hour tennis balls at people. Yep. 
That sounds amazing. Also, the uh, Alpine Slide, which I think if I opened, I, I started to watch a video on it. I pulled them up on here, but I think if I did it, it was going to start playing in the headphones. Oh, I didn't yeah, wanna, don't do that. I didn't want to startle you. <laughs> yeah, that would have scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> but I am going to watch a video here once we finish recording of how these things work. Because the one near us seemed to have like areas where you could kind of get up on the side, but it like would end halfway through. Like you would be up on the side to go around a curve and then it would just end. So you had to like go up and then come back down and then go up again. So maybe you like weeble wobbled that way. But I remember going down the Alpine slide in water uh, in Winter Park and you did weeble wobble a lot. Okay. Um, it was very like whoop, woo, whoop. It was, For anybody that can't see, it's like going la- going up one side and then back down. Like a half pipe. Yeah, kind of like a half pipe. It was you're going, so much fun. Minus stupid teenage girls. Dumb bitches. Don't fuck with my dad. <laughs> uh, and on that note. On that note. Um, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. This is other a- than check out Class Action Park on HBO if you want to see actual visuals of all this and more. Like, seeing this park is, wow. I think I do want to do that. So It is a fantastic documentary. Highly encourage you to check out. And I didn't go over... Any of the lawsuits, really. Any of the lawsuits. I didn't hit, really, most of the rides. I didn't go deep into how drunk and stupid people got. I didn't go into any of the employee midnight parties at the park. Nice. Yep. Lots of crazy shit went down. A lot of babies conceived there. (laughs) Um, Are you an action park baby? (laughs) Email us. (laughs) You never know. Ask your parents. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, on that note. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully that's still not playing for you guys. Trivia with Tyler. I uh, got nothing on that one. I literally just, Tyler hit the wrong button. No, and I, yeah, I just missed. The guy <laughs> lined up, and I hit the one right below it. I, I, my aim was off on that one. Oh, that's hysterical! I, one day we're gonna seem like professional podcasters. We have the equipment. Just I hope to God, <laughs> not that the when, talent. When I, sh- yeah, you're right. When I <laughs> shut it off, it shut it off in our ears. I hope it shut it off for you guys. I hope so too. I guess we're gonna uh, find out. Yeah, we will. All right, so. I'm going out of order again right. this week. Because, Tyler Nuggets. I want some trivia, Tyler. All right. This is this is a good little nugget that, let's just say, you and I are both baseball fans. Mm-hmm. We know a lot about baseball, about the history, the rules, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. This is something about baseball I didn't know, and I don't expect that you'll have known. I highly doubt it if you don't know it. After an obese umpire died during a game, Major League Baseball decided to enforce weight limits. In 1999, under this policy, umpire Eric Gregg was fined $5,000 for exceeding 300 pounds. Whoa! So you couldn't be fat and be an umpire. Whoa! Yeah, imagine your job said you can't be fat. Well, I guess some jobs do. Yeah, I mean... A firefighter. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I get it. $5,000 seems steep. But... Um, umpires make so much, so much money. Oh, well, I, I mean, if you really truth, truly think about it, 
it's such a fraternity to be a major league baseball player, but there's 25 to, well, I think it's like 25 people, 25 players on a team, and there's 32 teams. There are four umpires per game, and there's 32 teams, so that's 16 games being played at most. It's a smaller fraternity of umpires. Mm. So, I get you. Very, very small amount of people. So. I get that. All right. That's your Tyler Nugget for this week. Final thoughts. I watched but, Tyler double check to I make got, sure he yeah, was hitting the right one. I got the right one. <laughs> Uh, it was my week to do the presenting, so I have not gotten to drink a whole lot. I'm going to continue sipping on it. Um, the The taste has not changed a whole lot for me from what I have tried. Um, still leathery, still earthy, still burny. I don't know. Yeah, I honestly haven't had a sip of it in about 45 minutes. Whoops. Um, just because I got through it, I mean, yeah, I got through it pretty quick, and I wanted to save some for the end because we didn't. We, it's not like I can go back into the bottle. Um, with that being said, it still burns with that peppermint burn. Long finish. It's leathery and earthy. Like I said, lightly smoky. I've been able to put, I, th- I think I've been able to put a finger or at least more than just bitter at the beginning and the mid. It's definitely some type of fruit. Um, I'm getting some sort of like dark fruit, like a, I don't want to say a blue raspberry flavor, but it is definitely like. You a- know, blue raspberries are not a fruit, right? I thought there's legitimately blue raspberries. There's no way. Keep talking. That might be a extra Tyler nugget. It might be a fake Tyler nugget too. I don't know. Anyway, um, there's it's a bitter fruit flavor that I'm getting right on the tip and the mid. Megan's looking it up, but I don't trust her, so I'm gonna look it up too. Some companies attempted to make. Blue raspberries, but there is no such thing in nature as a blue raspberry, according to the ndsu.edu. So, hmm. but there's blue raspberries. Uh, like I said, some people one that could be easily photoshopped yeah, to change the hue. Two, some companies tried to create blue raspberries. I thought but. there was. Uh, oh, I thought it was just a different. Like you've got your regular raspberries, and then. Somebody told me this not long ago that there was a different species of plant that produced blue raspberries. I didn't know that. Well, they lied. I yes, would love blue raspberry as an actual fruit, but sadly it is oh. just a candy. It's a blue raspberry flavor. Maybe not blue raspberry flavor, but it's a bitter fruit flavor is what I'm getting at the beginning. I don't know. I'm. It's... The more I'm drinking, it's the harder it is starting to get, like overlook the burn. I can tell you right now, I'm gonna have to take Tums tonight before bed because this is this burn is gonna give me like indigestion. I 
I, I guarantee it. Yeah, I can. Damn, we're getting old. <laughs> I, I could see that. Um, Shh, no, we're not. We're fine. I'm getting old. I'll admit it. No, you're not. We're fine. We're young. I'm old. I'm an old man. I want to be in bed. It's, it's almost 11 o'clock. I want to be asleep. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I, I, oh. It's not a shooter. I shot it. It's not pleasant to shoot it. I got some of that dark fruit. Yeah. Blue raspberry type flavor. Yeah. Um, it's just a bitter fruit. I don't know what fruit it is. What but is that? I I can taste it. Um, um, what's a bitter a bitter fruit? I I I tasted what you're tasting. Yeah, I've only I've not gotten it you. regularly. It's no. something that I've gotten at just a time or two. Um, for me, honestly, I this is this is what I. Like I said, I didn't drink it for about 45 minutes. I uh, maybe had a little bit of Mountain Dew in there just to wet my whistle. But I didn't mind it as much when I first drank it. Now that I'm having it again 45 minutes later, it's not... It's gone down. It's not as enjoyable. Um Oh, uh, truth be told, the the combination of leather and spice is just a little much. I don't even want to say it's a little much. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, it's not my cup of tea. I tend to like a little bit sweeter whiskey or a little bit more. Yeah, just more typical bourbon vanilla y flavor versus the. Versus the leather flavor. Um, so I, I, I was starting, I was going to rank it kind of mid-pack, but I think I'm going to knock it down just a little. So I'm going to probably rate this a four and a half. Um, like I said, knock it down just a little. I don't... I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't mix it. I'd shoot it. Yeah? I'd shoot it. I'll, I'll take this last bit. I shot it earlier and didn't like it, but I wouldn't. I like it shot. Oh, no. No? Not for me. Well, I think it's a shooter. Oh, no. I would drink this. This is another one I would have, uh, like, similar to last week, where I uh, said it would be a winter yeah. whiskey because of the burn. This something is something. Warm. I would. I, I'm. I'm gonna stick with what I said last week. Same. Same type of whiskey. Not something I'm gonna seek out. If I had it, I'd pull it out every once in a while, like in the winter time, to help. Like if I was going to smoke a cigar on the porch, it would help me stay warm. I don't think that was last week. So I think that was the week before. By the way, last okay. week was Japanese whiskey. Yeah. I, I, whichever week that was, I don't remember. Yeah. That. That's kind of where this one falls for me, and I'm gonna give it a four and a half out of ten. Um, you know, if you're if you're into the kind of earthy, leathery flavors, this is definitely one for you. Um, I'm I'm with Tyler. This has not been my cup of tea. Um, the burn, it at first it started out pleasant, and as I've continued to drink it, it's just uncomfortable. I wanted to shoot it at the end just to get rid of it, 
Um, this is a two. This is a two for me. It's not something I would ever seek out. And I appreciate friend John for getting it for us. But Absolutely. You're amazing and we love you. But number one is not something I want again. Number one is number two. <laughs> According <laughs> to Megan. Um, yep. So we're, you know, we're excited to try these. These are not, like, like we said earlier, this is not something anybody can go out and buy. It's hand-picked, single-barrel, you know, versions of, of the whiskeys that our friend, friend John, has access to, and he's been gracious enough to share with us. So have a round of applause. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you liking, subscribing, donating, do whatever. Check us out. Um Patreon, you can donate there, PayPal. We're going to start having interviews and bonus content hopefully here soon. Email us if you want to be involved with that. Yes, for um, sure. Or if just if you have suggestions of what bonus content yeah. we can. Just email can. us something. For yeah, the love of I, God, please, we yeah. see you listening. We didn't uh, <laughs> We didn't have any mail time this week. Uh, I got I got one message, and it was... It was uh, personal message just thank just from here's a personal message basically saying uh glad that you're i'm doing better somebody that knows me in real life with all the health issues from the surgery so um yeah uh, apart from that i appreciate the concern and the, the well wishes thank you so much for that message yeah for sure and yeah so y'all email us shoot us let us know what we're doing good, mm-hmm. what we're doing bad. Yep. We see you listening. We can track that. So Oh, yeah, that's You're right. not all bots. Oh, and speaking yeah. of. I was just about to bring that up. So. Let's end this on a very exciting note. Uh, exciting is one word for it. Tyler so, is let, so close. Let me let me you, you let go me, ahead. Let me, let me ahead. say this a little bit. So we're sitting at 2,292 listens. That's 208 listens away. From me shaving my beard off into a mustache. I'm not looking forward to it. I regret doing this, but I'm a man of my word and I will. I'm so excited and so looking forward to this. I've been wanting to do this since episode one, since we started the podcast. I don't think I introduced it that early. Did you not? No, I think it was like a couple episodes in. Either way, we're now at episode 37 and we're already almost hit the 2500 mark. We're so close. So please give us a listen. Share us to your friends. I'm going to look like a fat Italian guy. <laughs> Let me tell you, so I have not shaved. I've not, my beard, normally I would have it, I would have trimmed it by now. It's fluffing out over here. If you're on YouTube, you can see it's fluffing out over there. We're so close. I might as well just let it go until it's time. I'm so excited. So when you guys get us to 2,500 listens... I will be shaving my beard off. I will be a before and after picture. Oh, um, I'm going to record it live, my friend. Oh. It will be live in real time if you yeah. tune in. I will let you know when that's going to happen, could, everyone. That could be some bonus content, I guess. That could be our first bonus content. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. I have an idea. All right. On that note. <laughs> uh Yeah. I guess on that note, we've taken up enough of y'all's time. Thank you so we much have. for listening. Thank you. You all are amazing. We love you. 
stay safe because you will not hear us again until after the 4th of July. So don't yeah. drink and drive. Have a safe Be 4th safe. of July. Be safe. Keep uh, eyes on your dogs. Make sure everyone's happy, safe, secure. Pull a Jason Pierre Paul. Don't blow your fingers up with fireworks. Yeah, that's a bad idea. No bueno. No. We love you guys. We thank you. And most importantly, we ask, don't drink and drive. Cheers.